0: Good morning all. Maybe you saw your group there on the video. Yeah, welcome to Union Chapel today and this is the first uh, message in a series we're entitled entitling home improvement. Been really looking forward to this uh, subject because it's relevant to all of us. We all uh, originate from families and understand the impact that families have, good and bad in our lives. And no one has a perfect family. Of course, I heard the story of a perfect man who met a perfect woman and they had a perfect courtship and a perfect marriage. They were driving down the road one night. It was Christmas Eve and they saw a man stranded on the side of the road and being a perfect family, they pulled over to help and discovered it was Santa Claus. And they helped Santa into their vehicle and gathered up all the presents and began helping him make all of his deliveries. But the weather was worsening that night, and they ran off the road, and two of them were killed. Here's my question to you. Which one of the three survived? The answer is the perfect woman, because everybody knows there is no such thing as Santa Claus, and there is no such thing as a perfect man. Although one man quipped after hearing the story by saying, well, the woman had to be driving in order to get in that kind of an accident. (laughs) Well, yeah, the men like that part, yeah. Point is, nobody's perfect, and no one has a perfect family, but what I want to do today to lay some foundation for this series is to at least paint a portrait, show a picture, if you will, of what, what we can find in the scripture as God's concept of the family and what it might look like when it functions well and so that can be then kind of the target that we shoot for we, nobody's going to get there and everybody's going to miss most of the time but at least we understand what what God's best design for the family is and we might aspire to it so we're going to look at Psalm 128 today which is a beautiful psalm and I hope uh, by reading it today and studying it a bit that you will become more familiar with it and look to it more frequently in the context of family. So Psalm 128, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. As is our custom here at Union Chapel, I invite you to stand to hear God's Word. Verse 1, Blessed, which means happy or fulfilled or satisfied, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him, who will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. May God inspire us today through his important word. You may be seated. Most of you are familiar with these numbers. In our culture, half of all marriages end in divorce. That means half of all children are growing up without one of their parents, usually the father in the home. This is a critical reality because in my opinion, everything in society is predicated on the family. The family is the fabric and fiber that holds society together. When the family succeeds, culture succeeds. When the family fails, then, then other things fail. Schools become broken, businesses are broken, churches are broken, society gets broken. I assume that was a pool ball. Is that what that was? That's kind of a first. You know, if pool balls come flying off the mezzanine, it's going to make people, well, at least you'll stay awake that way. People flinching all the time, I could leave a mark right a pool pool wall Wow broken heads, broken homes, broken families <laughs> stuff happens. Teachers are discovering in our culture that they have to be surrogate parents police. Uh, Officers have discovered that they have become the ultimate disciplinarians because of the absence of discipline at home. Most of the people that I am referring to today and talking to this weekend on our services, you you understand what I'm talking about. On the other hand, perhaps some of you grew up in or are currently part of an environment where the family is fragmented. You've been perhaps on the wrong end of abandonment or abuse, mistreatment of some sort. You're the product of divorce. Or maybe maybe what I'm describing is not your problem, but you know personally people who are facing some of these issues. We learn about family from different sources in our culture. One is from our family of origin. You've learned the habits and disciplines and perspectives, worldview of family based on the family you grew up in. And that can either be good or bad depending on your experiences there. Uh, obviously, we have some negative effects of that, especially in homes where... The parents weren't all of that uh, effective, and in some cases when men, especially, were behaving badly, it reflects poorly, not just on men. Women develop attitudes about men that are, that are negative, and it can lead to a warped view of God. You know, if God is anything like my dad was, then he can't be followed, he can't be trusted. And so all of these negative connotations begin to develop sometimes from our from our family of origin. Another place we get an impression about family or definition of family is from associations or friendships. And we, we hear about them from the experiences and expectations of people that we know. And sometimes we get impressed by what people say to us. Don't be surprised if their negative experiences may have an effect on you. Perhaps someone might say, I got out of a bad marriage and it's been the best thing I ever did. I recommend it. You know, that sounds appealing to you, and so you may start leaning in that direction. So sometimes friends inform us. And then, of course, communication technology and the media inform all of us on all kinds of subjects, including the definition of marriage. And to be fair, there have been all kinds of interesting images produced by media over the years. Remember back in the 50s and 60s, if you're old enough to remember this, uh, Ozzie and Harriet came on with their perfect nuclear family. Uh, Their family and their home was never out of sorts. Uh, Leave it to Beaver. uh, You remember Beaver's mother, June Cleaver? This girl never had a hair out of place. It's like she got out of bed in the morning, you know, just perfect and perky all the time, uh, which is just not real. That's not real life. Uh, Now we have intentional dysfunction portrayed in television programs recent years by sitcoms such as Married with Children and now we have Modern Family which is popular. Uh, MTV who produces their programming directed toward teenagers primarily always hoping to stretch the boundaries of propriety. I've just learned this past week is currently producing a TV series that will feature incest as the cutting edge expression in families the young woman playing the lead in the series has been quoted to say incest is cool we're going to have fun welcome to the postmodern post-christian world uh, it's it's a crazy world out there my point is that, that there simply isn't a lot out there to give us the right picture of family uh, couples now want to protect themselves with prenuptial agreements we're pretty sure this isn't going to last so let's protect ourselves from the inevitable Others simply don't bother with the legal marriage, and so cohabitation has become more popular, so when the breakup occurs, we don't have to go through all those legal hassles. Uh, so as we lay a foundation for this series and get started on this, let me make this apology. I just want to just apologize in advance for not always making you feel good in this series. There may be some moments that are uncomfortable. Uh, if I make you feel bad about the divorce you want to get, or make you feel bad about the non-believer you want to marry, or for calling you a boy when you think you are a man, or you you find yourselves in relationships that you know aren't God-honoring, and you just chronically can't seem to break free from them. You have my apology in advance to you women who love your career more than you love your husband and your children. Uh, Let me ask your apology for not making you feel good about the bed you're sleeping in if it's not the bed your husband or wife sleeps in. I just want to say I'm sorry in advance so you won't be too offended by my orthodox, Bible-centered, tradition-honoring, God-pleasing, self-respecting preaching because that's what's going to happen the next several weeks. And so you have my apology. But let's start with the ideal. And I know this isn't possible for any of us because we're all flawed, we all have a story, we've all made bad decisions, we've all made painful mistakes, but we must have an expectation to shoot for. I mean, if you just lower the standard and say any and every expression is perfectly okay and, and, and acceptable, then we will miss an opportunity to at least aspire to the best design that God has in mind for us and all of the implications of the influence of that design. So there must be a standard, I think, that is recognized as the best model for effective family. Now here God in Psalm 128, I believe, is painting a portrait of what family should look like. And, And so this becomes the target. This becomes the bullseye. This becomes the goal for families. And so I want to just parse out of this psalm four things that will help us see a picture, a portrait, if you will, of God's uh, ideal for family. And, and that will be kind of our goal. And if we shoot, shoot for that, then, you know, we're not going to hit it all the time well, but at least we know what we're shooting for, and that will give us the perspective we need. Here's the first thought, and that is Christian family begins with a personal commitment to God. Personal commitment to God. Verses 1 and 2, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor, blessing and prosperity will be yours. Now there are lots of neat promises in there predicated on fearing the Lord and walking in obedience to Him. So the Christian family begins with the members of that family making a personal relationship with God their top priority. If you have a godly, devout person, then you'll produce an environment for healthy family. You can't have a miserable family unless you have miserable, godless people. So goes the individual, so goes the family. The starting place for fixing a family is to fix the people who live there. It begins with the individuals having their lives centered on God. If there's misery, then it will create more misery. As the old adage goes, misery loves company. So the way to fix misery is to assume personal responsibility for committing to God, because the circle and circumference of family is a commitment to God, placing God at the center of your life and the center of your family life. So a commitment to God is very important. It's foundational. It's cornerstone of family. How happy and blessed is the person who fears the Lord. In other words, take God seriously in your life, who fears the Lord, who who find God awesome and reverential toward God. I I fear God. I respect God. I take God seriously in my life. I uh, learned early in my life to take my father seriously. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Took my father seriously. My dad, uh, when I was growing up, my dad was 6'3", 220 pounds, and Athletic. Today, he's 83 years old, he's 6'3", he's 220 pounds, and still athletic. You didn't want to mess with him then, I don't think you'd want to mess with him now. He's uh, he's all put together. And my mother, uh, as I reflect on it, was an effective disciplinarian, but on occasion when my offense was especially great, she would utter the phrase, this will have to wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Ever heard that before? You just wait till your father gets home. This will have to wait. Well, um, now in some homes, in many homes, this is indeed an idle threat. You know, the mother just exasperated, saying to the wayward child, you wait till your father gets home. Uh, In my family, when I heard that phrase, the fires of hell began to burn. (laughs) You know what I mean? This will have to wait until your father gets home oh God. My father would get home. I would be ordered to meet him in my room. My dad would remove his belt. And then with the love in his eyes, he would ask me, are you ever going to do that to your sister again? Or some phrase like that. And I would say, no sir, in the name of Jesus, no, I'm not ever going to do that again. I don't ever remember getting corporal punishment from my father for the same Issue more than once. Now, I may have, and it's probable that I did, but I don't recall ever messing up the same way twice to get to that level of punishment. But that, see, that's what it means to fear the Lord. I took my father seriously, I took him seriously. Serious, sober, serious. And that's what it means to fear the Lord. It means to take God seriously in your life. Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in obedience to Him. So God will show up in the family that fears Him, that respects Him, that reveres Him, that finds, finds Him an awe-inspiring presence in your life. See, God is like the sun, and we're like the planets. And as long as we stay in the right orbit around the sun, then 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 things are in right relationship and things go well. But we have individuals and families that fly out of their proper orbit and into and into all kinds of self-destructive behaviors and god is no longer the center and focus of their lives and it doesn't work if men are not being men for god and women are not being women for god in the context of the family don't be surprised if your children spin out of control in destructive ways see god says happiness comes blessing comes fulfillment comes not from a vacation, not from a cruise, not from a new house, not from a new car, not from a new iPhone or a new iPad or a new computer. Happiness comes because a man is in the gravitational pull of God. He has centered his life on God, and her family is centered on God. In this uh, 128 psalm we see that God makes promises he'll take care of your fortune you'll be blessed you'll be prosperous God will take care of your feelings he'll take care of your relationships and those dynamics he'll take care of your future that generations to come will be blessed if you focus on God you know a camera is a marvelous machine but if it's not focused it will not produce the desired result you know some years ago we put together the Hubble telescope and it was a it's a space telescope we launched it into space and turned it toward the stars for the first time and scientists were really happy after you know it achieved geosynchronous orbit you know just sitting there and now we order it to focus on a particular star galaxy and guess what happened it wouldn't focus the boys that machined the mirror for this billion dollar space telescope got it just a little off and the machine wouldn't focus You, you pointed at the stars and it was all blurry So we had to send some boys and girls back up there to fix it a billion dollars later. So in the family, listen, if your focus is not on God, then the breakdown begins. The Christian family begins with a personal relationship with God. It is not people-centric. A godly biblical family is God-centric. Otherwise, I start deciding what is best for me rather than God deciding what's best for me. And it leads to self-reliance self-reliance is one of the most horrible sins that you can commit. The idea that I am self-reliant, that I can take care of myself in every way. It's, 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 it's incredible deception to imagine that. And self-reliance always leads to bad decisions. Some of you may have heard this story. You've all heard this story years ago when Muhammad Ali was at the height and pinnacle of his athletic career as the heavyweight boxing champion of the world he was all full of himself and for good reason, you know, and he got on a commercial airline one time and he was all cavalier about it and belligerent about it and when the stewardess asked everybody to buckle up their seatbelt, he refused to put his seatbelt on. And she went to his row and said, Sir, would you please, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt. We can't, we can't depart unless you buckle your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali just looked at the stewardess and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she, with great, with great whip and, great, and, and gr- great verb, says back to him, Superman don't need no airplane either. Now, please <laughs> buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. We think more of ourselves than we ought to think. And so people who are rooted in God have a great chance of making a meaningful family life if they see their dependence and need for God's central focus on God. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, I could be talking about any subject in the world today, I Happen to be talking about family, but this first point would apply, wouldn't it? Because making Jesus the center of your life is the most important thing you ever do, no matter the subject. It's especially true in family. Here's a second thought from Psalm 128. A Christian family is developed in the right environment. It's developed in the right environment. Verse 3 says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now, it's interesting that the psalmist focuses on the man first. He says, your wife. So he's obviously talking to the man. He's writing to the man saying, now your wife and then your children. God starts with the man. Now, I don't, I don't want to create controversy today about all this. But there are different roles for different people within the family. That makes sense, doesn't it? Just like there are different roles in every organization, every institution. And so in the family, there are different roles. And with regard to men, it is the man's responsibility to set the tone and the tenor for the family. The role of the man in the family is to lead. Now, it doesn't mean he's the Lord and he's the, he, he's the only one who makes any decisions and he's the boss. It's, it's none of that. There's all kinds of mutuality. But there is distinction in role. And one of the roles that God gives men in the family is the leadership role in terms of tone and tenor, speed and spirit. The, the direction of family is at the feet and responsibility of the man. This is precisely why manhood has taken such a beating in our culture over the past three or four dec- decades. The, the whole cultural trend is away from the importance and significance of men of husbands, of fathers, and the role of the family and in the culture. And we will do it to our everlasting peril if we diminish and, and impugn the role and responsibility that men have in culture and particularly in family. The devil knows that if, 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 he, if he can dissuade men from assuming their appropriate God-given role, then he will have the ingredients for effective dissolution of family and of culture the last few years we've been studying a ministry called Men's Fraternity and and there's a summary definition of what an authentic godly man looks like. Let me just rehearse that with you for those of you men who haven't been through Men's Fraternity. An authentic man does four things. Number one, he rejects passivity. Rejects passivity. Now hear that. Men, by nature, tend, generally speaking, tend to to be passive with regard to spiritual things and with regard to social things. Men tend to back away from responsibility with their own spiritual life and also the spiritual lives of their family members. And this is a bad tendency that men have. And men are also inclined to, to be passive in regard to their social and the intimacy within with which they do their relationships. Men tend to be withdrawn that way. And what an authentic man, a godly man, does is he rejects that passivity and he embraces his role as a spiritual leader and he embraces his role as a social leader in the context of his family. He engages his wife in important, intimate ways, conversationally and emotionally. He engages his kids at an emotional, psychological level and he is willing to do that. That's what an authentic man does. He rejects passivity. A second thing a man does is he accepts responsibility. He accepts responsibility. We have a crisis in America of husbands and fathers running from their responsibilities and neglecting their primary responsibilities, their primary role in the world. And so we have men who run around thinking they're men because, because they have been irresponsible in relationships. And they're not men at all. These are boys. These are children. These are chumps. They are not men. A real man is a man who recognizes his role and accepts his responsibility. And he takes that responsibility seriously, whether it's happy or sad, mad or glad, hard times or good times. He is authentic in his manhood when he accepts responsibility for the role God's called him to. As a husband, as a father, as a leader, as as a tone setter in his family. A third thing we learn from men's fraternity is that a man leads courageously. He leads courageously. One of the reasons men are disengaging from their responsibilities in our culture is because it's just plain hard. It's hard work. It's a hard role to fulfill. It's difficult. It's tough out there. You know there are pressures and the weight's heavy, and it's difficult, and it's hard, so it's just easier to check out. But a real man, an authentic man, will actually lead with courage. He'll say, God, I'm not sure I've got what it takes. Will you give me the grace I need to make it through this next season of my life? And then he just bucks up with some courage, and God fills him with his spirit, and he manages his way the best he can. He rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously. And the fourth thing that an authentic man expects in this life is he expects to be rewarded. He reads Psalm 128 and he believes it. He reads it and he hears words like, if you fear the Lord and follow his laws, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed and prosperous and your family will be fruitful and your home will be at peace. And generations to come will be blessed because you have laid a foundation of godliness for your family. And he actually believes in a reward. God's reward for a life that's well lived. That's an authentic man. Now, with that in mind and that in context, you read Psalm 128 again, and then you, you hear this, this verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Well, now, what does that mean? Well, listen, a vine always clings. Think about that. It would take hold of whatever it was attached to. A woman should be able to cling to her man. And a man who is living an authentic Christian life, this is a man a woman will want to cling to and she should she is a clinging vine something else a vine does a vine always climbs not only does it cling but it spreads out over the whole structure and the branches will spread out in all directions and it means that she'll grow in her abilities and grow in her gifts and grow in her talents and grow in her character so a a vine always climbs and a vine always clusters (laughs) Fruit is produced. Grapes start popping out everywhere. Grapes become something wonderful to consume. And friend, brother, listen to me carefully. You may very well become drunk in the fruitfulness of the love of your wife as you live authentically with her. You will become a happy, fulfilled, and satisfied man. That's what the Bible promises here in Psalm 128. She should be encouraged then to pursue her sense of call as a mother or in her education, or in her gift development, or in her career potential. If you will serve her, and protect her, and nurture her, and encourage her, and keep her safe, and speak her language of love, you'll discover that she'll be clinging, and climbing, and clustering all over the place. And that's God's best design. That's what it looks like. An authentic man will see his wife being fruitful. And then it also says that your children will be like olive shoots, now it's interesting, this analogy is made, an olive shoot, this olive tree, uh, when you begin to nurture an olive tree, it takes actually f- about 15 years to nurture an olive plant until it starts producing oil. And after it starts producing oil, it will do so for about 40 years. That's an interesting analogy, isn't it? I mean, it really fits in the whole context of children. And children must be nurtured then if they are to be like olive trees. And the olive plant becomes a tree and produces all these years and the problem though is that too many of our children are not being nurtured by their parents now i already issued the apology at the beginning right they're being nurtured by other people now please hear me i love you nobody should raise your children but you nobody should Anyone else in a nurturing role in your children's lives should be an addition or a bonus or an extra to the nurture that they receive from their parents. A few years before our oldest son, Aaron, got married, not a few years, actually, just a few months, I sat down with he and his fiance Mandy. They've been married now beautifully for 10 years or so. And I said, hey, listen, I want to talk to you guys as you think about your future together. And I said, let, I want to predict your future. Let me, let me just tell you what the picture I see, say, five years from now after you get married. And tell me if you think I'm pretty close. And I said, here's what it looks like, because you're both high achievers, high capacity people, very ambitious. You're both going to get on a career track, and whatever careers that you plug into, you're going to start climbing the ladder. And you're going to be very successful, and people are going to pay you a lot of money to, for your services. And so you're going to have a, a, an incredible income. You're going to be living in a very, very nice home in some nice suburb in whatever city you land in. And and you're going to have nice cars in the garage. And you're going to take very nice vacations. You're going to get on big boats and big planes and go to exotic places and have a great time. You'll probably have season tickets to some professional sports team in the in the city you, you want to cheer for. And 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 I said, how am I doing so far in the city? Yeah, that's it. And I said, you know, if five years from now, you, there may be children. And I know you want to have children. You've talked about that. And let's just say there's a couple of children there. And uh, how's that look? They said, yeah, that looks, that looks great. I said, I said, now, if that's the picture that, that you imagine for yourself, you'll be in a nice church, and you love God. And maybe you'll be in leadership in that church. It'll be a great church, a dynamic church, meeting the needs in the community will be great. And you'll just be there. And life will be good for you. You'll be healthy, prosperous, successful, blessed in every way. I said, does that look okay to you? He said, yeah, that's it. it." I said, okay, I just have one question for you. Just one question. Those two kids that I I imagined, I said, who's going to raise them? Who's going to raise those kids in this scenario that I've just described? And it was interesting, both of them them were looking at me and then their heads kind of dropped because they really hadn't thought about that. And I said, well, that's something you need to think about because children, these these are not puppies. These are human beings that will grow up and actually manifest the values that you have instilled in them, good or bad. Whatever you give them, is what they'll live out in their lives and they'll pass on to their children and so whatever it is you do to invest in them and nurture them and care for them and raise them up in the way they should go that's really gonna matter so I'm just wondering who's gonna raise those kids who's gonna nurture those kids because you guys are gonna be really busy and you know to their credit perhaps everlasting credit generationally credit they have actually ordered their lives and managed their careers so that someone is always home with those girls. It's an amazing thing, they, the way they've been able to juggle all of that. And that's kind of that's the new expression of these dual-income families, which are so pr- prevalent today. And it, it, it works for them, and I admire them for making sure that their children are nurtured properly. The schoolteacher, listen, shouldn't be the one raising your children. The children and the youth pastors shouldn't be raising your kids. You should nurture your children. You should nurture them in the home and around the table. You know the art of the family meal's been lost in our crazy, fast-paced world. And in the case of the wife and the children, it is the attachment to the home that produces this desired fruit. Now listen, with all due respect, and hear me, be respectful. With all due respect and fully aware of the changing economic pressures and cultural pressures confronting families in today's world. Let me just say this, with all due respect, women, if your career becomes more important than your husband and your children, then don't be disappointed if the oil is not nurtured. Now just open, up, open your eyes. Beth and I, when we started having children, decided she would stay home and not work outside of the home until our youngest son went to school. Now, in our case, our boys are seven years apart, so that means she was home for the first 15 years of our marriage. And so as soon as our youngest child went to school, that's when she took a job outside of the home. So for those first 15 years of our marriage, she stayed home. We were a one-income family. You say, how did you do that? So we just do what you have to do. My God, what did, what, did, what did you miss out on? And I have to say, nothing? Well, think of the things you could have purchased with that extra income or the nicer home you could have lived in or the, or the nicer cars you could have driven or the nicer clothes you could have worn. Think of all the, the stuff that you could have piled up in your garage. Okay. Okay. cuz really the goal is you want your children to be like olive plants. You want them to be nurtured until the point where they become productive and they and they start producing oil that people use for medicine and and for and for cooking and for practical reasons that influence people in a positive way. The oil is a beautiful thing. Hmm. So development of the family takes place in the right environment here let me just mention a third thing we learned from psalm 128 it's really quiet a christian family is maintained in the community of believers a christian family is maintained hear the word maintained in the community of believers in verses four and five it says yes this will be the blessing for the man who fears the lord may the lord bless you from zion now zion was the city of god jerusalem in this historic context of psalm 128 This was the place where the father would lead his family to the place of worship. Now, we know from the New Testament that that the city of Zion, Mount Zion, is actually, according to Hebrews 12, for example, when you come to worship, you come to Mount Zion, the city of God. This This is now metaphoric for the local church. This is the place where you gather for worship, the worship of God. The family that prays together, as the old adage goes, stays together. That's actually true. The family that seeks God and worships God together actually sticks together. It's the family who is affirmed and reaffirmed in the things of God that make it over the long haul. That's important to know. You want to have a long-term generational blessing on your family, and the way that you establish a long-term generational blessing and favor on your family is to make sure that the worship of God is a central part of what you do as a family. So then discipline your family in a long-term commitment to the worship of God. It's important. You say, oh, my my kids, they they don't like to come to church, blah, 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 blah. I raised two preacher's kids. Now, there's a stigma attached to that, right? I mean, there's like jokes written about that. You know, the preacher's kid, you know, the worst kid in town, all that. And there's some historic evidence for that. And there's reasons for that. And Beth and I worked hard to protect our boys from any kind of stigma, stigma that was related to being associated with the local church. And so we kept things in balance, we kept things in perspective, and we never allowed anyone to create a double standard for our boys just because they were the preacher's kids. We just protected them that way. That's, that was our challenge. You've got your own challenges. You know, it's maybe it's the neighborhood you live in. Maybe it's the social circles. Maybe it's the school system. Maybe it's some other cultural factor that influences your kids and challenges them. But you have to find your way through that maze. And you have to say that a priority in the life of my family is to make sure that they are part of the worship of God. If your children have to come to you and say, Dad, why do we have to wake you up on Sunday morning and get you to go to church? Or, Dad, why don't you ever pray with us? Or, Dad, why don't you ever read the Bible to us? If your children are saying that to you, listen, you've not arrived at manhood. You say, look, I work hard all week. I provide for my family. Okay, good. That's a good start. Now, reject passivity in the other areas that are important to your role, which are social and spiritual in nature. Assume the responsibility and get your family in the worship of God. Connected to the covenant community of faith. It matters. This stuff matters. This is important. It's God's best standard, best picture, best portrait of family. The Sabbath was made not because God was tired. Was because He was finished. So He didn't make the Sabbath so He could take a break. Sabbath is about worship. Sabbath is about renewal. Sabbath is about family sabbath is about friends sabbath is about connection sabbath is about community this is about this is about authentic men and authentic women who are loving god and trying to hold their families together and nurture their children in the ways of god this is about these people realizing that god's mercy and grace got me through last week and by god's mercy and by god's grace and by god's power i'll be able to get through next week because life's hard and so I'm going to pause on the Sabbath and I'm going to worship God with my family and I'm going to ask God for His mercy and His grace to, to, to give me the stuff I need in order to make it one more week. That's why the Sabbath was established. Sabbath isn't for God, it's for us. It's important. The tragedy today is that we have too many Christians who don't properly value the experience of worship. But we have to place high value on this. It's so critically important. A Christian family is maintained in the community of faith. Here's the last thing we learn from Psalm 128. It's the Christian family is powerful in impacting society. Now, if 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 you just try to put on God's glasses, put God's lenses on, and when God looks at the family, what is he up to? What's he trying to do? What's he trying to accomplish? What's the plan? What's the purpose? And so you begin to learn some of these things. And what happens is God wants us to be focused on Him. That's, a, that's family. It becomes a little worship center for God, centered on Him. And family becomes a place where, where people can flourish and be fruitful, and they can develop themselves and they're into their full potential. God says, "How can I best maximize the potential that I've placed in every human being? I know I'll build a family. That's where they can be nurtured. That's where they can grow. That's where they can develop. And then beyond that, what is is God seeing? He's saying, and I know how to maintain that family because they're not not in and of themselves able to manage for the long haul. So what I'll do is I'll put a community of faith around them and then I'll I'll cluster families together in the household of faith, in in that covenant community. When one of them wobbles, the others can support and bring care and encouragement. And then ultimately, what is God's big design? His design is to help us to be focused on Him, nurtured and growing, sustained for the long haul, and influencing the world. You see how this expands? This is God's design around the family. And so the Christian family is powerful in impacting society. Verses 5 and 6. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, You know, the larger community, all the days of your life may you live to see your children's children. Now it's not just expanding influence uh, geographically, but now it's expanding influence generationally. Not just your generation, but now the next generation and that after you. Generations to come. And then the last phrase, peace. Peace on Israel. So here's what God is saying. Look, If you will will order your lives and, and, and focus your families in the proper ways, then the blessing of God will come, the sustainability of God will come, the prosperity of God will come, and the influence of God will be used in your life. The peace of God, the shalom, so you have the right family, right with God. As a result of that, the community is blessed. The community is blessed. We see our children's children only when there is peace. We, we live with this peace and then we influence our schools and our businesses and our neighborhoods and our local government and our churches and indeed the world. That's how it works. That's God's plan. That's God's design for the family. You know, I look back on my own family and my parents took, took uh, my two younger sisters and me to church before they even knew Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They had a sense of rightness righteousness even before they knew Jesus. And so they would take us take us to church every week, every week. To, we were in Sunday school every week. We went to vacation Bible school every summer. We went to youth group when we got old enough for that. We were just there. My This was all before my parents knew Jesus. Isn't that curious? But then when they got right with God, they actually became Christians. <laughs> they became followers of Jesus. What that did was that... That kicked, that kicked our sense of community responsibility up into another gear. And I, I just thought about this this week. I had not, this had not occurred to me. Let, let me just brag on my dad. You know, I described him physically a while ago. My dad is a very special guy in a lot of ways. And some of you may recall a couple of years ago, the local newspaper designated me as a person of the year. You know, just kind of recognizing me for, community activity involvement, making the community a better place. Okay, great. It was, it was nice and a bit embarrassing. But let me brag about my dad. I, was re- just, I just reflected on this. Years ago, maybe 20 years ago, my dad, hear this now, my dad was given a similar honor in his hometown. My mother called me and said, hey, your dad's getting this award. They're going to give it to him at the county fair one night. You all should come home. And we all went home. Dad said, what are you guys doing here? I said, I just wanted to see you. We just hung around until they gave him that award, and we all just went, yay. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? See, the Bible promises that if you will fear the Lord and obey his laws... And honor Him with your lives. And stay focused on Him in the most important relationships you have. That God will bless you. That He will favor you. He will prosper you. And you'll be blessed generation after generation. How cool is that? And that's what you want, isn't it? And that's what you shoot for. Now let me just... Let me just say that when you you purchase an expensive item most of the time you want to know what's the warranty on this thing how long does the manufacturer cover this this thing to make sure that it works and we want to know that and so we always look to the manufacturer for that warranty information when we buy something expensive when it comes to the family listen to me family is God's product it was his idea his design his institution his plan it's God-brought, God-wrought, God-thought idea, the family, the institution of the family. He's the manufacturer of family. And so what I want to encourage you to do today as we conclude, as you get this portrait in mind, now we have to somehow assimilate what you just heard with the reality of our perfectionless experiences in our families. We go, geez, I, I'm, I'm 50 light years away from God's best design for family. I'm, I'll never get there. Listen. The best thing to do is to turn to the manufacturer right now and just call on God and ask him for your help. Maybe, maybe for his help. Maybe, maybe you're in the midst of a marriage and divorce seems likely, or maybe your kids are wayward, or, or maybe there's financial stress, there's relational stress, there's dysfunction of all sorts. It's been chronic. Maybe it's been chronic for a long time. Maybe it's decades of, of chronic dysfunction, And you've wanted your husband to take his role as a leader to reject passivity and accept responsibility. He just, he's not getting it. He's not getting there. And so here's what I encourage you to do. Take this all to God. God really does love you. And God really does love your family. And God really cares about all those things you're going through. And as you call on him, he will help you. He will send his help. So don't give up. And don't turn loose of God's best plan. Don't settle for something else because it's just too hard. But go for God and trust Him to take you from where you are right now because this is the beauty of God's will. God's will will always meet you right where you are, no matter your circumstances. And He'll take you from that place into a better place, step by step. So don't get overwhelmed by some some perfect picture. But rather, trust God in this moment to meet you in a sincere and meaningful way. And he will be faithful to do that. So call upon him, and he will hear your prayer and answer your your cry. Amen? Be encouraged. Would you stand with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you this morning for this picture, this portrait. Lord, it's challenging to us. We confess, wow, that's that's a beautiful picture, but man, We can't imagine it ever being real in any way, but Lord, we pray that you would call us today to higher expectations, that you would fill us with hope, that you would inspire us to imagine a better future, and that you would lead us from this day to a better place. So remind us, God, of the importance of making a personal commitment to you to place Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and families. That's the place to start. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. It's, it's the circle and circumference of family. So, Lord, we recommit our lives to you. And, Lord, remind us that as men and women, we have to, we have to fulfill our rightful place. And so family gets developed in the right environment where men are, are going for God and women are living for Jesus, loving each other. Help us in that. And, Lord, remind us of the importance of the covenant community of the church family is maintained in the long haul over the years because of the relationship we have and support we have with others ultimately god you've called us to change the world to be salt and light so we pray that you would increase our influence that society would be impacted because lord you know our society is in need so help us to cause your light to shine in brighter and more faithful ways thanks for hearing our prayer today We devote ourselves afresh and anew to you. We thank you for this blessing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.